You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. There you go. So how do we know where almond milk came from? Jeremy, I'm glad you asked that question, man. That was, that was a, a, a stumper right there. And uh, Dave, I was thinking about, yes, about marketing ideas. Like what are some things that we could do to market better? I was thinking we could do Sangria Sunday. Like, it would be like every Sunday, and it'd be in the communion. We would just do, people like, go to that church. They know how to do communion right. So I think that's a good marketing idea to do that. Um, Shot Sunday. There you go. And then it's, and it's like a mystery as to what's in the communion. No, we won't. I don't know if that's a good idea. But, um, man, well, it's Memorial Day weekend, and um, you guys excited about that? Y'all have plans for Memorial Day weekend? Got some stuff going on? Yeah? Good. Uh, it's going to be a great weekend too, nice weather, all that stuff, but, but um, I want to pause and just remember what Memorial Day weekend really is. You know, th- the other day I, was, uh, I came across this photo that really reminded me of what we remember on Memorial Day weekend, and um, it's a weekend where we remember those who, who fought and died for our freedom, who gave their lives for our country, the men and the women who sacrificed everything so that we could be free. And we are just so grateful for the sacrifice that's been made for us. And not only those who fought and died, but but the families that have been left behind. And we remember um, the sorrow and the pain and the struggle that they go through. So this weekend, as you're enjoying your hot dog and uh, blue moon, just just remember the, the sacrifice that people have made so that we could have the freedom that we have. And uh, as we think about sacrifice and sorrow and, and pain and suffering, I, um, I, was, I was looking at the news, because that's a great place to go to find sorrow and pain and suffering, is, is the news. And um, I, I went through and I, and I looked at some of the headlines from this past week. I want to share some of these headlines with you. Uh, here's, here's one of them. A transgender woman who was attacked in April found dead on Dallas Street. One dead and eight wounded in shooting at Alabama High School graduation party. Eight-year-old Salem Sabatka found safe after kidnapping in Fort Worth, Texas. The pregnant woman, who was brutally murdered in Chicago, will be laid to rest Saturday. Brazil officials say 11 dead in massacre at Belém Bar. Explosion hits tourist bus near Egypt's Giza pyramids, injuring at least 17 people. Veteran impaled by stolen tripod dropped on California freeway. An elderly man died after he was pushed off a bus. Florida man slaps girlfriend's face with cheeseburger. And that last one is a real headline. That really happened. And you know Florida man had to make his appearance in the headlines. But as we, as we look at some of the headlines, just over this past week, we can see that this world is filled with pain and suffering and injustice and evil. And, and this list of headlines didn't include headlines about hurricanes and tornadoes that have ravaged whole cities and left people dead. I didn't have time to include headlines about the fact that there are, bil- there are one billion people in this world who don't have access to clean drinking water. There are one billion children who live in extreme poverty worldwide. I don't have time to include headlines that, that 
summarize injustices like wars and genocide that are currently taking place in our world. These headlines leave out the stories of sons and daughters who grow up in broken homes because of abusive or absent moms and dads. I didn't have time to include headlines um, that talk about the 361,600 babies, the entire population of the city of Norfolk and Suffolk combined, who have been aborted in the past five months, just this year to date. This list doesn't include headlines of the moms who struggled with the decision that they made. This list of headlines, it doesn't include headlines about the truth of the disproportionate population of black men in the prison system and the ins and outs of why that is and what can be done to remedy it. So I don't have time to go into all these different headlines, but I don't think I need to because I think we get the point that this world is filled with injustice and pain and suffering and evil. But we don't need to look at headlines to know that because we live it, right? Pain and suffering and injustice and evil, it's our lives. We've experienced it. We live this. It's, it's, it's this woman that my wife and I know from our daughter's school who right now her marriage sucks. Her and her husband are sleeping in two separate bedrooms because they can't figure out how to communicate with one another. Right? It's this guy who's a part of our church who's having difficulty dealing with some of the hardships of life and so he's turning to the bottle just to feel numb. It's several people in our church that I know who have this debilitating sense of insecurity and inadequacy. And most days are okay, but some days are really tough. It's, it's this newly married couple that I know that, that if you were to ask them just six months ago if they thought their marriage would be this bad, they say, no way. And the reason why it's that way is because the husband in the picture won't step up and lead like the man that he needs to be. Instead, he's chosen apathy. It's, it, I mean, pain and suffering, it's just something that we experience and we know in our, in our life. It's, it's the guy who came to our church last week for the first time who lost his wife last year. And he feels alone and isolated. And it's a tough time for him. It's this pastor friend of mine, Carl, who preached at his niece's funeral just recently. On Monday, she was fine and healthy. She got the flu and on Wednesday, she died. She was 10 years old. See, we know about pain and suffering, and evil, and injustice in our world. We don't need to read headlines to see that. We know it, we live it, we experience it, we feel it. Which begs us to ask the question, why? Like why is there pain, and evil, and suffering, and injustice in the world? Why doesn't God do something about it? Because if what the Christians claim is real, if there really is a real God who's all compassionate, all loving, all kind, all powerful, hello, all powerful, how come he doesn't do something about it? Why doesn't he fix it? Why didn't he just eradicate pain, evil, and suffering in the world? And this is where we are today in this tension. Why doesn't God just get rid of pain, evil, and suffering in the world? And this is the question that we're gonna ask and answer today as we start our brand new series, Asking for a Friend. So I've been, I've been looking forward to this series because uh, this series is really my story. I became a Christian when I was 13 years old, and uh, I didn't really grow up going to church. And uh, when I started getting involved in church and started figuring stuff out about God, I had all sorts of different questions. And, uh, and I wanted evidence. I wanted answers when I was growing up because I didn't wanna be the kind of person who just kind of bl blindly believed in God. Again, I didn't grow up knowing God, but I wanted to know, I wanted evidence, I wanted answers. Because here's what Christianity demands from us. 
that we lay down our lives and live for God. But it was impossible for me to lay down my life and live for a God I didn't know, that I wasn't even sure if he was real. So when I was 13, I started reading the Bible for myself. I started asking all these questions. I started looking for evidence for God. And then I came to the conclusion that God really was real. But I had all these questions. And so if you're here today and you're here throughout the series and you have these questions, I want to let you know I'm honored that you're here and I resonate with you. Like, I relate with you too because I had questions. There's still times that I do have questions. And my hope is that throughout this series, I'll be able to give you some tools and some mindsets that'll help you navigate through some of the questions that you have. Because here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to make a blind leap of faith. Instead, I want you to make an educated leap of faith because that's what it requires. See, as, as we ask all these questions and, and, and provide answers, and, and, and here's, here's the deal, and I'm not trying to be cocky, I'm just telling you the truth. I, I'm pretty confident I could answer almost every question that you have about God. Whether or not it would satisfy you, whether or not you would like the answer, that, that's a different story. But I'm pretty sure I could answer every question that you have about God. But here's the deal. If I were to answer every question that you have about God, you wouldn't all of a sudden say, okay, well, I believe in God now. No. There's this, this element of faith where you have to say, okay, I, it's easier for me to believe now. Because of, but there's still this leap that you have to make. And so what I want to do is I want to bring the boat close enough so that when you leap, you don't land in the water. And so that's what we're going to do throughout this series. Ask some of these questions and then provide some answers. And if there's some questions that we're, we're not asking and answering in this series, you can actually go back uh, a couple years ago. We did a similar series called Questions You Don't Ask in Church. And so you can listen to our podcast and listen to some of the answers um, from, from that series. And then also at the end of this series, like Dave mentioned, we're going to do a Q&A. And so uh, he and I will be up here and we're going to take live questions from you. You'll be able to text in your questions and uh, we'll be answering those questions that we don't get to in this series on that Sunday. Uh, but today we find ourselves at this, at this place of why does God allow evil and injustice and pain? Why doesn't he just get rid of it? And um, there's, there's a couple things that I want to mention b before I launch into the answer for this question. Uh, the first is, throughout this series, you're going to want to take notes, right? And so we give you a note card, we give you a pen so that you can take notes. You're going to want to take notes, and I'm going to give you a bunch of different passages for you to refer to, and you're going to want to be able to go back to those. And so uh, make sure to write those passages down. You can even take pictures of them. We'll have them on the screen for you. But uh, probably the best way for you to follow along in the sermon series and really any series that we do is on the YouVersion Bible app. Um, it's, a, it's a free thing. You can download it to your phone. And we actually have all the passages and notes from every sermon uh, up there so that you can follow along real time so you know what's going on. That's one of the best ways to keep up with things. The, the, the second thing I want to point out to you as we go through this series is that I'm going to provide an answer to you, but just know that sometimes the answer I give you won't satisfy. Because... As I'm giving you an answer to something like pain and suffering and evil and injustice in the world, we may understand it, like, like I'm addressing this part of you, not this part of you. And I'm going to try my best to get here, but we need to understand that, that logic and thinking is different from our emotions. And so I may give you an answer, and the answer may not make you feel better. And oftentimes, the answer doesn't make us feel better. In, in times of pain and suffering, what we need is not an answer, but just someone to be there with us. But I want to provide an answer for you today. 
Another thing we need to understand too is that as we go through the answers to these questions, there may be some things that you don't agree with or you're like, but wait, how come God doesn't do this? Or if I was God, I would do this. Here's what we need to understand. We are finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. And because we're finite beings, there are going to be some things that we don't get. I am a finite being trying to explain to finite beings an infinite God. So there are going to be some things that we don't quite understand because we don't sit where God sits, so we don't see what God sees. God even explains it to us um, through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 55, he says this, My thoughts are, not, are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so what God is saying is you don't sit where I sit, so you don't see what I see. And so you don't understand everything I do. And it makes sense that we wouldn't be able to understand everything about God. So just know some of these answers may not satisfy. And some of these answers you may hear and you're like, but I would do it differently. But here's what we need to understand. I, I need to come to a place in my life where I just believe that God is more compassionate than me. God is more loving than me. God is more kind than me. He's more caring than me. And he's way smarter than me. And so even though I might not do it that way, it's a good thing I wouldn't do it. Because I know me and I know how jacked up I am. You don't want me pulling the strings, making the decisions. You want God behind that. The same is true for you. So when we question God, we just need to understand, wait, 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 he's an infinite God. His ways are higher than our ways. And I might not understand it, but ultimately he knows what's best. And the other thing too is that sometimes God doesn't give us answers because answers aren't always what we need. And if God did give us an answer, we wouldn't even understand it sometimes, right? Like, like one of the best people to look at in the Old Testament is this guy named Job, especially when it comes to pain and suffering and injustice. Because with Job, what happens is he loses everything. I mean, Job's family is killed. He loses all his wealth and his health dwindles to nothing. Like Job is barely holding on in life. And throughout the book of Job, as you read through that, what you see is that his friends come along and they try and give him answers about why this is happening to him. Well, the reason this is happening to you, Job, is because you've sinned. The reason why this is happening to you, Job, is because of this, 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 this. They try and give all these answers, but they're all wrong. And then at the end of Job, Job begins to question, and he starts to ask God, God, why is this happening to me? And he starts to doubt his faith, but then God enters into the scene of the book of Job, and he starts to ask Job some questions. Here's, here's how it looks at the end of Job. It says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? You know what ignorant means, right? You don't know. Not stupid. But ignorant. You just don't know what you're talking about. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? God asked Job question after question after question, and then he inserts some sarcasm a, a little later on. But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you're so very experienced. 
And then he asks more questions of Job over and over and over again. And at the end, Job just hides his face and he says, forgive me for I spoke of what I didn't understand. I have no idea. Essentially, he comes to this point where he says, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. I spoke out of turn. I didn't know what I was talking about. I, I share this with you because I want you to know, God is not intimidated by our questions. Because God is bigger than our questions. And God meets us in our questions. And listen, when we go to God and we ask questions, we don't have to go all nice and, and, and neat and proper because, again, God is bigger and he understands our emotions and he understands what's going on in our life. God is big enough to handle our, God, where are you? What's going on? Why aren't you doing something about this? God is big enough to handle that. But just know that God doesn't always give us an answer. Because even if he did, we wouldn't understand it. It, it, it's like me trying to explain to my two-year-old son uh, the properties of calculus, right? I mean, he just wouldn't get it. The kid can barely make it to the bathroom without pooping on himself, and even then it's a 65% success rate. So if I try to explain to him the properties of calculus, and I could, he wouldn't understand it. In the same way, for us finite beings to try and understand why an infinite God does what he does, there's times we just wouldn't understand it. But there are answers. There are things that we can know because God's word reveals it to us. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna try and answer as best as I can through God's word. Why doesn't God just get rid of pain and evil and suffering and injustice in the world? And the number one answer, the main reason why God doesn't do something here and now is choice. Choice. See, God gives you and I the choice to choose how we live. He gives us the choice of, of what to do. And we love choice, right? I mean, we love to choose. We love to have options. Because we're the kind of people who, I want to choose what flavor ice cream I eat. I want to choose the material and color of my couch. I want to choose what to do for my occupation. I want to choose who I marry. I want to choose uh, what to do with my money. I want to choose whether or not to have the baby. See, we love to have choice. And you better not get rid of my choice. I mean, especially in America. We live in a society and a culture as Americans where we love to choose because I know my rights. Come on, man. You better not take away my choice. And God comes along and he says, exactly. Exactly, I will not take away your choice. I will not remove your ability to choose. And each and every one of us has the ability to choose how we live and what we'll do. You and I have the choice to either follow God's way or our own way. But just know that all of our choices carry consequences. The choices I make carry consequences for my life. They can bring about good consequences or bad consequences, but my choices will always bring about consequences. Not only do my choices bring about consequences for me, but my choices bring about consequences for you. And those consequences can be bad. Those consequences can be good. And so you may feel joy and happiness and peace in your life because of something I choose to do. You may also experience pain and suffering because of something I choose to do. In the same way, the choices you make carry consequences for your life. The choices you make carry consequences for my life. We're all connected. 
And so one of the reasons why pain and suffering and evil and injustice happens is because we have the ability to choose. Why doesn't God get rid of our choice? I want to I explain a misconception that, that some people have. Um, some people think, and, and they ask this question, well, if God created everything, that means that God created evil. And so why did God create evil? And the answer is he didn't. God did not create evil. God did not create bad. Everything God created, he created as good. Here's how the creation account starts off. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And so when God created humanity, he created us as good. He created people as good. This is why you're wrong when you look in the mirror and think you're bad. This is why there's something going on. You need a new mindset when you look and you think, I'm not good enough because God made you good. And that's what he says about you. You are good. You are made in my image and likeness. And I don't make junk. It's time to shift your perspective and the way you see yourself. God made all things good, and God made us out of love. 1 John 4, 16 says that God is love. And so why did God create us? Because he's love. And that's what love does. Love creates. Love creates. Love can't be kept to itself. It has no option but to share itself with others. So God creates us. His motive is because he's love. God doesn't create us because he's power hungry. God didn't create humanity because he was lonely and needed some people to be his friends. No, God creates because he's love. Love creates. And love invites others to share in love. And so God creates us to be in relationship with him so that we could share in the love that he has so that we can love him back. But love that's forced coerced, made to happen is not love. If I say to my kids, you will love me, no, they won't. They have to freely choose to love me for it to really be love. How come God doesn't take away our ability to choose because then we couldn't choose love? We can choose evil, we can choose hurt, we can choose pain, but we can also choose love and joy and peace and hope. We can choose good or we can choose bad. God won't get rid of our ability to choose because of the good that could happen. Yes, there's bad that could happen. Oh, but there's this good. Was it Shakespeare who said, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all? There's hurt and pain and loss. Oh, but the joy of love far outweighs it. And so God won't get rid of our ability to choose because God has given us the choice to love him. And this is how it begins in, in the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam and Eve and he invites them to be in this love relationship with him. But in, in inviting them to be in that love relationship, he has to give them a choice. Will you choose to follow me or will you choose to reject me? It's up to you, what will you do? And the way that God sets it up is so amazing. What he does is says, okay, Adam and Eve, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Like you have millions and millions and millions of options of trees, but there's this one tree. Don't eat from that one. 
Like you can eat from any other tree that you see, except this one. Like he gives them so many choices. But one day Eve is hanging out by this tree and she starts talking to a snake. You know things are bad when you're talking to a snake, right? I mean, God, look, God said you can eat from any tree in the garden. Even that one with those berries that are going to make you delusional where you start talking to a snake. You can eat from that one. I'm just making that up. I don't know. But she's talking to a snake like it's normal. And so she's hanging out by this tree. And, and here's, here's the, the, the deception of Satan, our enemy. She's hanging out by this tree. And Satan starts off the conversation by asking a question. And the question isn't even accurate. And then he gives her a half-truth. And then after this half-truth, he just makes her feel like she's missing out on something. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? No, you know that. You know he just said this one. But he asked this, this off question. Well, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or touch it or you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. No, you won't. Like as soon as you eat it, you're not going to fall down dead. Half truth. Even half truths are dangerous. He didn't go on to say, but you will die one day. But you will bring about death and destruction based on this choice. He said, God, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat of it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Here's the thing, Eve, God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to become like him. Then you'll be competition for him. He's keeping something from you, but I know what's best for you, right? We, we think that, don't we? Well, if I just looked at those images, then I'd be satisfied. Pornography is this, this hunger that's never filled, right? Well, if I... If I just flirt with this guy at work, then my emotional needs will be met and, and I can still, if, if I could, just, if I could just, just eat in this moment, then I'll, I'll feel better. Uh, never mind the fact that I'll feel worse because of what it, it's this, it's this thing where, well, if I could just do this, then I would be, sad. sin has this way of deceiving us and never fulfilling the promise that it gives us. God, God's holding out on you. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And it's in this moment that Adam and Eve make the choice to rebel against God. And I don't want you to get it twisted. I don't want you thinking this is a story about Adam and Eve. This is our story. See, they had a choice with the tree. You and I have a choice every single day. We have a choice every single moment. Will I follow God's path or my own path? What will I do? When we follow God's path, it brings life. When we follow our own path, it brings about death and destruction, shame, regret in our life. God creates everything as good and perfect. He says, oh, this, this is very good. But when Adam and Eve decide to rebel against God, sin enters the picture. And what sin does is it distorts everything God made as good. 
here, here it's, it's, it's right here with their nakedness. Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is before sin. This is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the picture. But Genesis chapter 2, they're naked and they feel no shame. What's up, girl? But then... They decide to rebel against God. Sin enters the picture. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When sin comes in, it distorts everything God made as good. Why is there evil and pain and suffering in the world? Because of sin. Because of the choice that we make. Because of our, our choices have consequences. Adam and Eve rebel against God, and the good thing God made, their nakedness is now distorted, and they're ashamed of it. Why does evil, pain, suffering exist in the world? One of the reasons is because of our choice and the choice of others. But another reason, and this answers the rest of that question, is because we live in a sin-scarred world. Because when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, sin enters in and distorts everything. So there's pain and suffering and evil and injustice that happens because of our choice and the choice of others. But then there's stuff that just happens in this world. And it's like, why is that? The reason is because we live in a sin-scarred world. God made everything good, but sin comes in and distorts it. Here's how Paul, the, the writer of Romans, explained it. Romans chapter 8, he said, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What he's saying is that our world has been affected by sin. This is why we have tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis that kill people. It's, it's because we live in a sin-scarred world that we have disease and famine and flu and birth defects and disorders because even creation is suffering from the effects of sin. And so this is why we live in a, in a broken, evil, messed up world because of our choices, the choices of others, and because we live in a sin-scarred world. But then the question is, why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't he get rid of all the evil, all the pain, and all the suffering? And the answer is, he did. And it didn't turn out very well. God did something about it, and it's called the flood. See, what happened was God looked at humanity, and he saw evil all over the place, and he said, I'm starting over. Here's, here's how it's recorded in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor and the eyes of the Lord. Why didn't God get rid of pain and evil and suffering and injustice in the world? He did by killing everyone. And if you hear that, 
and you think, well, that's not very kind of God. That's not very compassionate of God. Why would he do something like that? Do you see how screwed up our thinking is? Because part of us is saying, God, we want justice. Why don't you do something about it? And then when he does, by killing everyone, we say, that's not kind. And so we put God in this position where he's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't, right? It said that the thoughts of everyone all the time was evil. The world was way worse before Noah, and God brings justice on evil by killing everyone. And then after that, Noah survives, Noah and his family. But Noah doesn't do a good job of keeping things good because what he does is he plants a vineyard, makes some wine, gets drunk and naked, right? He screws it all up. And then here we come along. Listen, the truth is God did something about pain and suffering and injustice in the world. And it didn't work out very well. But God will do something about it in the future. And this is what we look forward to, knowing that one day God will make all things right. But in the meantime, how do we operate? What's our response to pain and evil and suffering in the world? What can we do to eradicate it? Because here's, here's what I believe. If we look at God and we say, God, why don't you do something about this? I think God looks back at us and he said, I did do something about it. And it pained me. I promised I would, I would never wipe out the world again by a flood. But I want to ask you, why don't you do something about it? Because I've given you everything you need to wipe evil off the face of the earth. I think if, if we're so bold as to ask the question of God, God, why don't you do something about this? I think God looks back at us and he says, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you make better choices? Why don't you love and forgive instead of hate and hold grudges? Why don't, why don't you eradicate the bitterness from your own heart? Why don't you step up as a man and lead your family better? Why don't you do something about it? See, Jesus actually gave us the answer on how we overcome pain and, and evil and suffering in the world. It's in this, this one short verse and one short prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. And if you grew up in the Catholic tradition, you've prayed this prayer over and over again thousands of times. If you've been to Alcoholics Anonymous, you've prayed this prayer hundreds of times. It's called the Lord's Prayer. More accurately, the model prayer. And here's, here's what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus teaches us to pray in this prayer is, I want you to look around at the world and see the injustice and the pain and the suffering. And when you pray, pray that this world would start to look more like heaven. God, may your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth, just like it is in heaven. And as people of prayer, it's not enough for us to just shoot up prayers to the sky, but then we have to say, how can I begin to live out the answer to my own prayer? God, help me pay my bills. I'm gonna go get a job though. Right? I gotta be the answer to my prayer. God, help me be for, more forgiving. Now I need to go be more forgiving. Right? I can't just ex expect God to wave a wand and 
tapped me on the head and it happened, but I, I need to work to be the answer to my prayer. God, may this world look more like heaven. So now what's my part? My part is I need to live the life of heaven here and now. How do we eradicate pain and suffering and evil? I live the life of heaven here and now by being kind, by being loving, by being compassionate. I just asked the question, how is life going to look in heaven? Well, that's how I need to live now. So I need to be forgiving like I will be in heaven. I need to be patient like I will be in heaven. I need to be more compassionate like I will be in heaven. The way that we do something about it is we start to live the life of heaven here and now. And then, as we, as we do this, we'll start to see evil dissipate in our world. One of the best ways that you can eradicate evil in the world is tell people about Jesus. Share your faith with people because the more and more people who say yes to him and choose God's way instead of their own way, the more and more this world begins to change and transform and look more like heaven. You wanna see your workplace change? Tell your worker, tell, tell, tell the people in your workplace about Jesus. I don't know if I can really do that at my workplace. We can't really talk about religion. Yeah, but you can talk about hope. You can talk about joy. You can talk about forgiveness in your workplace, can't you? Let me show you where I found that. Only in Jesus. So this is how we do something about it here and now. But even then, as we live the life of heaven, there's still injustices that take place. People still get cancer and die. Alzheimer's and dementia ravage people's brains, making them a shell of who they once were. People get drunk and crash their cars into other people. Even now, families split up. People take their own lives. People die too young. You know, several years ago, I did a funeral for a baby who was only hours old after he died. And I had to stand in front of that auditorium there, in front of a coffin that was the size of two shoe boxes, and figure out what to say to this grieving family. Coffins should never be made that small. But we live in a world where pain suffering take place and even if we live the life of heaven there are still times where what we do is too little so what do we do then we hold on to the hope of revelation chapter 21 what we know is that one day jesus will return and make all things new what we know is that when injustice takes place god will come back and bring justice god will do something about it. We hold on to the hope of Revelation 21, where John the Revelator said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and, he, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for all these things are gone forever. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Why doesn't God get rid of evil, pain, and suffering? He will one day. And this is the hope that we have, that things will be made right. But we also need to understand that when God returns and makes all things right, that won't be good news for some people. Here's how C.S. Lewis explains it. God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else, something that never entered into your head to conceive comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. See, God will return and make all things right. And when he does, that will be great and glorious news for some and horrible news for others. Because when God returns, he's going to make all things new, destroying the old. And the question that remains for us is will it be good news for us or terrible news for us? Here's how Peter posed the question. And Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. He said, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. This is God doing something about evil. By the same word, the present heavens and earth will have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So the idea is that God will come back. He will do something about pain and suffering and evil by destroying this world with fire and making all things new. He said, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. God is coming back, and you've been wondering, what's taking him so long? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 
Why doesn't God do something about pain, suffering, and evil? Because if he did, there would be some people who would be destroyed right along with it. But God wants for everyone to be saved. God wants for everyone to know him. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, have you made the decision to say yes to Jesus? By believing that he died for you on the cross and raising again from the dead. By placing your faith in him and following him, making him the leader of your life. Have you been baptized into him, burying your old self and coming up a brand new creation? God will do something about pain and suffering and evil in the world, but he invites you into a relationship with him first so that you know he walks with you in your pain and your suffering, and then he invites you to do something about evil in the world by counteracting that with good. So I wonder for you, have you made the decision to say yes to Jesus and enter into a relationship with him? That's a choice that's yours today. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.